when I was writing my book, uh, my, I had an agent. <laughs> that sounds so like I had an agent. Yeah. But if you want to go the traditional publishing route, you generally you, you, you get a literary agent, and then that literary agent will pitch the book to different publishing houses. And that's the route I went. So when I was uh, getting it published, my, my literary agent, <laughs> that just sounds so weird to say, was like, uh, publishers are looking for three things. And I just remember one of those things. But uh, he says, publishers are looking for three things in a book. And, and one of them, the one I remember, is the book needs to be compelling. That is, when you're reading, uh, you want the reader to be so engaged because the story draws you in because it, like, you don't want to put it down. Every word, every sentence, every paragraph leads you to the next part, and you want to continue on that route because it is so compelling. And it's, it's one of the reasons why it took me five years to complete my book. And uh, it's only like 20 pages, just kidding. <laughs> five years to, to, to write my book because it, it's hard to make things compelling. It's hard to tell a story that is compelling. But then I think about the life of Jesus. Three years was his public ministry. Three years. And, and talk about compelling. He lived the most compelling life of all lives. He is the one who was God in human form, came to set the oppressed free, to set sinners free because of the cross, and he is the one who draws us to himself and then sends us out. The story of Jesus is compelling, and it is this story of Jesus that the apostle Paul that so captivated the Apostle Paul that he couldn't help but go and spread the message of Jesus all over the world, throughout Asia, throughout Europe. He couldn't help but spread the message of Jesus. And we just got done talking about his three missionary journeys in the book of Acts. And now we come to the point when he ends up in the city of Jerusalem. And he ends up in the city of Jerusalem, and what we're going to see is more drama, more, more riots, more people saying, get out of here. He went through turmoil. He went through near-death experiences where you know, he's like this close to dying because they're throwing rocks at him. We're going to find out in a, a week or two that he was shipwrecked at one point. And, and he, we're gonna, we've already talked about the riots that have started at different cities in Ephesus, and now we're going to see another riot in Jerusalem. But why did he keep going? He kept going because the message of Jesus is so compelling. He was so compelled to live life to the fullest. And he didn't care if his life was at risk. He wanted the message of Jesus to go to all people. And so in Acts 21, we read this. And right before Acts 21 and verse 17, we have these different prophets. There's, there's this prophet named Agabus, and then there's, there's these prophetess, and, and this one prophet, Agabus, comes to, to uh, Paul and, and takes Paul's belt off, and, and, he, and he, like, so dramatic, right, takes the belt of Paul off, he brings it over, and he ties himself up, and he says, the Lord told me, if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be tied up like this, and the apostle Paul says, so that's the Lord's will, so be it. And then he goes to Jerusalem. Verse 17, and let's read to um, verse 24. 
When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James, and the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard this, they praised God. Then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everyone will know. Then everyone will know. There is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. So there is some concern going on. The Apostle Paul comes back to Jerusalem with, with, those, with his traveling companions, and he comes to James, the half-brother of Jesus, and the elders of the church of Jerusalem, and he says to James and the elders, this is what God has been doing all over the world, all over Asia Minor, and all over uh, Greece, and all over everywhere we went. And, and they were like, yes, praise Jesus, that is great news. Then James says, well, guess what? There's a lots of Hebrews here who are coming to know Jesus as the Messiah as well. And they're saying, yes, praise Jesus. You know, you start with the good news first, then the bad news comes. The bad news is, James says to Paul, but there is a rumor, there is perception, there is whatever you want to call it. But everybody in the city here believes that you are telling people that the law of Moses is worthless, that the law of Moses is, does not need to be followed, that the law of Moses and our customs are no longer important. And, and because of that, they are mad. And so James trying to keep the peace, James, the half-brother of Jesus, trying to keep the peace, he says, here's what we got going on. Here's what I suggest you do. There's four young men doing this purification thing, and, and, and the purification was, was simply they would, sometimes they would do in the Old Testament as a way of cleansing themselves, dedicating themselves to God, and they said, why don't you join in with them, and by the way, why don't you cover their expenses, <laughs> and because they're young guys, you're an older guy, you got some money, so cover their expenses, and he did that, and then nobody could say, no one can say that you don't value the law of Moses. You don't value our customs, the customs that you were brought up in. And so James was concerned that, the, that these rumors might damage the witness of the church in Jerusalem. James was worried that this might happen. And so he wanted to do everything he could 
to, 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 to kind of, in one sense, appease the Jewish uh, community, but also to let them know, you know, no, he's on our side. Paul is on our side. And so there's a number of people who think that what Paul did was a compromise. Because as we read the letters of Paul, we see that this act, these, these rituals, weren't important to the Apostle Paul anymore. And Paul knew that this act that he was about to do, Paul knew that it probably wasn't going to do any good. He knew that it was, they would see right past it or they wouldn't care that he was going to do this. And so for Paul, the relevancy of these rituals just wasn't important to him. And so he made a compromise. But it wasn't a bad compromise. I think it was a good compromise. Because I think what the Apostle Paul wanted to do is he wanted to become all things to all people, as he wrote in 1 Corinthians. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians. I think this will explain it better. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessing. The Apostle Paul was more concerned with saving one person, with getting one person to come to a relationship with Jesus, than he was about this ritual that was going on that he probably didn't think would do any good. But if there was a possibility that this would work and reach people for Christ, he was willing to do it. And I think the other reason he didn't want, he, he, the other reason he participated in this ritual act is he didn't want to become a stumbling block. Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person it is unclean. If your brother or sister uh, is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. So Paul is in the temple doing this purification act because it's a, it's a very selfless act that he's doing even though he's not fully behind it, but, he, but he's looking at the, 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 the kingdom and he has the kingdom in mind. And so as he's doing this, the, 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 his, his fellow Jews see him there, they get him out and they start yelling at him. Because the Jews pull them out, and they go, you are the one, you are the one, you are the one who 
is destroying our customs and spreading lies about the Hebrew scriptures, about our scriptures. You are that one. The Romans think that Paul is somebody who started a riot years ago and has been on the run. So, so they pull him out, and what happens is they start to beat the Apostle Paul. And, uh, and, 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 and they, they, they start to beat him. They start to yell at him. But be, <laughs> I got ahead of myself. But before they start beating him up, he is always getting beat up at one point or another, you know? So he just wanted to live a life for Christ, and he wasn't concerned about his bodily well-being. So, so they call him out, and they're just like, all this commotion, you know, you have thousands of people. I don't know exactly how many, but you have all these people. And, and, and Paul stands up, and he addresses the crowd. He tells them. He says, listen, let me explain to you what God has done in my life, what Jesus has done in my life. And so first, Paul tells them about his Jewish heritage. He says, Do you, let me tell you that I grew up a Jew, under the best teacher of the day. I grew up studying scripture, knowing scripture, memorizing scripture. And, and, and I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I oversaw people killing those who were claiming that they're part of the way or part of those who follow Jesus. And I am a Jew from, the, from inside out. He's telling them about his heritage. Then he goes on and he says... I am zealous about God just as much as you are. And then he says, I was on the road to Damascus getting ready to arrest more followers of the way, more believers in Jesus, when, when, when all of a sudden Jesus came to me in a vision, and a bright light shone to me, and, 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 and this voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then Saul tells the crowd, and then I ask, who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus, who you've been persecuting. Then Saul turned blind. Then he went and, uh, uh, to Antioch, and he was blind for three days. And then this man named Ananias came in. And Paul addresses this Jewish crowd, as he's just in this Jewish crowd, he emphasizes that Ananias was Jewish. This Jewish believer in Jesus came to him and says that the Lord Jesus has plans for you. And Ananias introduced him to Barnabas, and the story goes on that Barnabas was his champion, saying, no, Paul is the real deal. He is no longer this person who is killing Christians. Now he's the person that is going to promote the kingdom, and God has a plan for him. And then finally, in Acts chapter 19, verse 21, Paul told of the Lord directing him to witness no longer to the Jews of Jerusalem, but to go to the Gentiles. And this is what set everything apart. In Acts 22, 19 to 21, I don't think it's on the, on the screen. Well, I know it's not because I just, I'm reading it right now. Uh, Jew, uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 19, oh, maybe 22, 19 to 21. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison, is verse, uh, chapter 22, sorry, to, another, to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr, Stephen, was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away 
to the Gentiles. And this was what set everything apart. This was what then all of a sudden they said, oh, no, you didn't. Because then all of a sudden this riot broke out. They start beating him and pounding him and, and getting this close to, to, to killing him. The Roman authorities had to get involved. Otherwise, they would have killed Paul. So they get Paul and they take him. And there's so many, it's getting so hectic and so crazy and so chaotic that they have to actually lift Paul up on their shoulders, all these uh, soldiers, to get him out from the crowd and into the barracks to where they could bring him to safety. And so they could interrogate Paul and see what really is going on, what really is happening. And so the next set of verses in the book of Acts, something very interesting happens because they, back in biblical days, the Romans were the ones known that if they wanted to get the truth out of you, they would beat it out of you. So they would get uh, a cat of nine tails, which was a whip that was very vicious, and they would hit you with this whip, or they would beat you and torture you, and they figure if they torture you enough, you're going to tell the truth. So they're getting ready to torture the apostle Paul, but Paul then pulls out his Roman citizen card. I don't think it was like a, literally like a card, but you know, <laughs> he, he says, oh, by the way, I'm a Roman citizen, and they, they all stopped. And the captain of the guard came to him and says, you're a Roman citizen? I had to pay a lot of money to get my citizenship. And then Paul says, well, guess what? I, I was born a citizen. And they knew at that point, at that point, that they couldn't beat him. They couldn't pressure him. They couldn't, they couldn't, they, they, they couldn't do anything. There had to be a proper trial uh, to, in, in order for there to be you know, due process because he was a Roman citizen. Then what they did, they gave him to the Sanhedrin, so these religious leaders, and it says, you guys deal with him. And that's kind of what we'll, we'll cover next week. But, but, but as I think about this story, In Acts chapter 21, let me read Acts chapter 21, verses 37 to 40. Acts chapter 21, verses 37 to 40. As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, may I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. And then the Roman commander says this, aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I'm a Jew from Tarsus, a citizen of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to my people. After receiving the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and sisters, listen to my defense. And then he goes on and he gives them another defense. But I bring all this up for a number of reasons. Think about the life of Paul, how extraordinary his life was. Sometimes we will look at biblical characters and we'll go, man, how do we live a life like that? 
Like, how can we just travel around the world preaching the gospel of Jesus? And, and how can we be okay with being beaten? How, how, you know, how, how, how can we go and save thousands of people like some of the missionaries we talk about? How can we, how, where do I start? And so maybe what we need to do is think about where we need to start. I mean, maybe what we need to do is start thinking about what is it that convicts us about Jesus? What is it that's so compelling about Jesus in our lives? Like if I was going to ask you, if I were to ask you the question, why is Jesus so compelling to you? What would you, what would you say? What would you respond? Why is Jesus so compelling to you? What, what, why do you have this interest in Jesus? Why do you love Jesus? Why are you uh, uh, have a desire to know who Jesus is? What, what would be your response? And so, what would conviction in Jesus look like in our context? Maybe we got to start there. Because sometimes we, we think so broadly that, that we want to do all these things for Jesus, but we go, ah, but it's hard to start somewhere. So let's start somewhere. Let's start first. If we have... Uh, this love for Jesus, let's, and we have conviction for Jesus, let's start first by having compassion. The Apostle Paul had compassion on so many different people. He had compassion on even those who didn't agree with him. He had compassion on those who, who, who beat him. He had compassion on those who desperately needed him. Last week, we had the opportunity to lay hands and, 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 and bless um, uh, uh, a large group to go into the schools and be big brothers and big sisters through Common Grace and Malama Mentors. And just today, uh, I, I, was, I was talking with, with, with two people, one of the leaders and, and, and Jay Jarman of Common Grace Malama Mentors, that KCS, our school, Kamiki Christian School, had eight students that wanted to mentor, eight high schoolers that wanted to mentor uh, elementary students. The elementary school without knowing how many mentors the, the school had, the elementary school said, oh, we have eight students needing mentors. It was a perfect match, you know, like, like the Lord was just in, in all of that. And, and then we have probably between 20 and 30 mentors going to schools on a weekly basis. Why? Because they have compassion on these students. They have compassion and they want to be a mentor to these elementary students. They want to be that caring adult. And it all started because Pastor Ron and Pastor Jay went to the principal after Columbine and says uh, at, at one of the schools, I forget the school, but one of the schools said, what can we do to make a difference? And they said, there's lonely kids who need someone to care for them. That's how Common Grace started. And it started after Columbine, and now we all know the devastating effects of shootings and the importance of mentors and caring adults. And so why are they doing it? They have compassion. And the Apostle Paul had compassion. He was so convicted by the Lord and had this conviction to show compassion to everyone he came in contact with. If we, uh, uh, you know... So, so what, what could our conviction look like? Well, another way is we could turn the other cheek. 
We want to, if we have this conviction to follow Jesus, well, let's turn the other cheek. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, it, Jesus says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. This was one of the greatest insults in biblical days. You would pull someone's beard and you would slap them. It was like a big insult. And then, and then Jesus is saying, you know what? Turn the other cheek and let them hit that. No one wants to be slapped twice. But what Jesus is saying, turn the other cheek. There are some things not worth fighting about. There are some things that you've just got to let the Lord handle and the Lord work out. The Apostle Paul had a conviction to let the Lord speak for him at times. So we're convicted for the Lord. What were some other things that, that convict us or, or some convictions that we have? What about loving our enemies? Jesus tells us in, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, he says, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and, and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Love your enemies. You know what Jesus said on the cross as he's there dying on the cross? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That is love. He was compelled by love to forgive those who have harmed and offended him. Forgive and love. And maybe another thing we could do is to slow down and see what Jesus is doing all around us. We live such fast-paced lives for the most part that we don't take time to just slow down. The Apostle Paul was in the middle of a riot. The Apostle Paul was in the middle of, of, of about to be killed. The Apostle Paul was in the middle of an earthquake. Apostle Paul was, you know, and the list goes on and on, but he was able to see and look around him and to see what God was doing in that situation. How often do we just stop and just look around and to see what God is doing or look for opportunities to see how God can use us in a particular situation. So let's have this conviction of Jesus, of compassion, this conviction of Jesus to turn the other cheek, this conviction of Jesus to love our enemies, this conviction of Jesus to, to slow down and to see what Jesus is doing all around us. As the band comes, I want to wrap up by sharing with you... Um, when I used to drive for Uber, <laughs> you guys know what Uber is? All right. Anybody ever driven in an Uber before? All right. Raise your hands. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. But you've never driven in an Uber unless I've been driving. I don't know why. <laughs> but the, the last year I was at Hope, Kaz felt the Lord telling her to take a year off of work, which meant I had to work on Friday night. So I would drive from like... 4 p.m. to maybe 1 a.m. Uh, every Friday night for about a year. And I, I've driven over 1,000 rides and, uh, because we needed extra income. And I didn't want to do it, but I knew I had to do it to bring in extra income. And as I started driving for Uber, I realized very quickly that this mundane job, what I was doing, very quickly turned into a ministry. 
I could have just seen it as an opportunity to just make money, whatever, but I realized very quickly that this job that I had was an opportunity and a mission field. And I hope that you understand that whatever you do, wherever you are, it is a mission field. We don't have to go somewhere for it to be a mission field. Your work is your mission field. Your home is your mission field. Your sports field is your mission field. Your, your, your whatever it is, is your mission field. And so I've given over a thousand rides for Uber. That's a lot of people in my wife's car. And, and, and a lot of smells as well. But I'll tell you the story. So, so I, I, I drove and picked up this guy. And he's, they always, people just usually just talk. And they just you ask them one question. And they tell thousands of stories. Because everyone likes talking about themselves. And most of the time, I'm a good listener. Most of the time. And so I'm, 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 I'm driving and talking to him. And he says, well, we were downtown. Or, or no, we we're, were down at the boardwalk. And, and this woman was there, this, this girl. And she was, you know, reading people's future type stuff, tarot card type stuff, and well, okay, well, we'll tell you more, and, and, and she turns out that, you know, she has a sob story, so he fell for her, so he took her home, uh, he goes, okay, yeah, get my car, I'll take you home, and then she invites him in, and he's like, uh-oh, and he says, no, and she's being forceful, saying, no, come on in, and he said, no, 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 I'm married, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not that bad guy anymore, I'm trying to be good, so he calls Uber, first time in his life he ever called Uber, and happened to get me, which is interesting, that that night I went home and got dinner, which I never did when I was Uber, I'd always eat at like Taco Bell or McDonald's or something, but I went home and got dinner, and, and it just happened to be that I was in the area where he called because I went home and got dinner, and then I picked him up, so, so he's telling me this story, and he says, he says, yeah, man, she just, I'm just trying to get away. And, and this, he, he goes, oh, so what, what do you do? And then I had an opportunity. I said, oh, yeah, I'm the campus pastor at Hope International University. And, and he goes, oh, what does that mean? You know? and, and I said, well, we get to build homes in Mexico for families who don't need homes. We bring students there like six times a year. And, and, uh, and then I do chapel in groups. And he goes, you are the pastor there? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, my gosh, you don't even know. And then he starts flipping out, like in a good way, not like in a crazy way. And he's like, like, God has just sent you to me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, I have this, this employee, and he keeps bothering me about Jesus. He can't stop talking to me about Jesus. And I'm sure he wanted to fire him at one point. But so he starts going to church with his employee. And then, and then he says, and then he says, but then I stopped. I started backsliding. And he says, God brought you to me. This is an ordinary job, driving for Uber. Just a month, regular, just like I did everybody else, just pick them up, right? And then he starts talking for 20 minutes. I, I can't believe this. God sent you to me, like God sent you to me. And <laughs> this is true, he gets out of his pocket all this money. He's trying to tip me. I'm like, no, you don't, have, don't worry about it, it's okay. No, no, I'm so thankful, and he's throwing money at me. <laughs> like, it's the weirdest thing. And so he goes, I can't believe it, I, I gotta tell my family. And so he has like tears in his eyes because he starts telling me more of the story, and I can't get into everything, you know, here. But, but he starts telling the story, it's like, it's like God is telling me through you that it's time for me to get my life back on track. It was just so cool that God used me in that moment. I say all that to encourage us that whatever you do is your mission field. Like, I get to preach up here, yay, that's my mission field. But you get to hang out with people who are not believers on a regular basis. That is your mission field. 
and you get to have God, the Holy Spirit, work in you in so many mighty and powerful ways. You get to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so in a moment, we're going to sing this song as a song of response. But think about what your mission field is, who your mission field is. What are those conversations you could start to have with your friends and your coworkers and your neighbors and your families and your relatives and everybody else? Who, who, who are these people that, that you need to let them know how much God loves them? Who are these people that you need to go to and say, I, I am so sorry, please forgive me? Who are the people you need to reconcile with? Your mission field is wherever you go. The Apostle Paul knew that. And he was willing to do anything for Jesus. And may you and I be so compelled by the message of Jesus that we can help but tell others about the love, the forgiveness, and the redemption we have in Christ. Amen? Let's stand together and let's sing in response.